Hello and welcome to Basel Tov, the courage and creativity of ADHD. I'm Jen. I'm Ellen. And I'm Annette. And today we're, we're going to start in on a topic that I did not even know about until, until we started discussing what our topic for today was going to be. <laughs> so the topic in question, RSD. What the heck is that? It's rejection sensitive dysphoria. And for anyone who knows what it is, they've likely had a pretty bad time with it because they've obviously gone and either done research or sought help or something. But um, we're going to discuss how this has affected in our own personal lives and how it kind of intertwines with ADHD because it's something that can be really hard to spot and could potentially be the reason why you're not seeing the level of success you'd like in your life, because it just kind of keeps you a few steps away, just out of reach from it. So first, we'll say that ADHD is highly comorbid with RSD. And by highly comorbid, I mean that up to 99% of adults and teenagers with ADHD report having symptoms of RSD as well. So it's extremely difficult to deal with this uh, statistic brought to you by WebMD, which is, you know, it's, (laughs) it is what it is. I needed to find numbers today. And, you know, sometimes you just go to WebMD. (laughs) It's one source. Accurate. I did, I did, you know, cross examine that number. So that is actually an accurate number. I couldn't believe it as soon as I saw it. Yeah, it sounds um, like it's fake. It does. It sounds like the kind of thing that you'd see on some meme on Facebook that goes viral and then somebody shouts it down a week later. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. just, it seems like, I mean, 99%, that's, it seems like it's impossible. And according to to that same article, nearly one in three people with ADHD say that RSD is the hardest part of living with ADHD for them. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. Absolutely feel that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do too. I totally do. Um, so I don't know who, <laughs> which one of us wants to go first um, <laughs> with explaining what this looks like in real life. Cause this is kind of, this is a touchy subject. So ne- none of us are really so excited about <laughs> talking about it because of how it has affected us. And it's not yeah. the kind of thing that people usually discuss. Like, why haven't you been as successful as you wanted? Well, usually we hide that from other people. That's mm-hmm. part of masking. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of creates a little bit of anxiety just talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I know that Annette has had some struggles with this as late as today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So um, do you want to start and, you know, tell everybody what your experience with RSD symptoms have been? Sure. Uh, Yeah, actually, I was the one who kind of initiated this subject because I sent a message to you two saying, you know, I'm, I'm, it's hurting me bad. Because uh, for my whole life, I've not been able to process criticism or rejection or even uh, perceived rejection in a positive way. It, it always, it, it's not just feeling sad that somebody rejects you. It's like you feel the pain physically, like not just a lump in your throat or, you know, a hole in your gut, but sometimes both at the same time. Sometimes it feels like you've been punched. Like you literally get the breath knocked out of you and, it happens. And then that it's not just that physical moment, that one moment of pain, then it goes into the mental state where you're like, well, what did I do wrong? What, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? Why am I so unlovable? Why, why doesn't, why don't people accept me? Why do I always feel like I'm outside? Why it, why am I such an outcast? I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And your life becomes all about actions that you do to make other people happy or to make it look like you're a good person because inside you just don't feel like you are. And so, you know, I, when I was younger, uh, I would, I I always say, everybody knows I'm a singer, but um, 
I would, there would be auditions and things and I would be like, Oh, I want to, I want to be a singer. So I want to audition. And I would sometimes start the audition or I'd think about the audition and then I'd be like, no, I don't want to get rejected. Or I would start the auditioning process. And if there was somebody who's, who I thought was better than me, I would just drop out because Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I can't possibly win. Like I can't possibly be chosen. I'm not good enough to be that. Like, why am I even trying? And I would just quit. So I didn't really go as far as I could. And people have told me, you should do this. You should do this. And I'm like, "Mm, you know, I don't want to not be able to. If if I put all my eggs in the basket and the basket drops and they're all broken. And I don't want to be that Mm. broken because I do feel broken and I feel broken a lot. And so like when people would criticize something, I'm especially sensitive about uh singing uh because your voice is a part of you as an instrument and so when people would point out something or i'd have to listen to criticism about my singing it was it it wasn't like a normal neurotypical person where they maybe maybe it's uncomfortable but they can listen and then they go okay and they can make some changes it was like crushing for me Hmm. and so it took so many years of just saying, this is the industry, this is the industry, this is the industry. And I've just recently, you know, felt rejection from, you know, in the music world. I've just recently kind of gone through that. And, you know, talking yourself down from the, like, you, you feel that hurt, you feel that pain, but also trying to say it's okay. And it'll be fine. And you're, you'll be fine. And I've learned how to talk myself out of it. Uh, in the music sense because it still hurts every single time it still feels like a gut punch but I'm able to process it a little bit differently because I've had years of practice doing it so logically you know you know the nature of the business is that what you're saying yeah yeah Yeah. I know that it's gonna chew you up and spit you out and so I I take a part (laughs) of that but they're still rejecting a piece of you when they reject you and then, um, but on the other side, my, you know, my personal relationships and stuff, when I feel rejection or something from that, that, that still just like drags me to the bottom. And I, I teach, I own an English school, an English conversation school. And every year there's, the year starts in April. And so every year from like January to March, there's people who are quitting and they have so many reasons for quitting. And normal people can function that uh, can process that and be like oh well they're going to a cram school or they're moving or they're doing this or they're doing this but it's like every time I hear that somebody's quitting I take it so personally and I feel like it's because I was failing at something and it's just like it's like my heart is being ripped to pieces every single year and I go through this cycle every single year and I know it's coming but it just it always hurts because I've been with these uh, some of these kids I've been with them for like you know, most of their childhood and then they leave and their reasons for leaving are okay. But it's like, it's still, it just only feels like rejection. And so that's when I reached out to you guys and I was like, God, I got, you know, first it was this music thing. Now the kid people are quitting on me. And it's like, I just feel Mm -hmm. rejection everywhere. And it's, even though my brain says like, there there's reasons for this there's this there's this and i can justify it to myself but it doesn't change the fact that i feel like i'm failing as a human being and that's why all of this keeps mm. happening to me mm-hmm. yeah 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 and that's rough like because when you i mean when you constantly feel like you're failing it's almost like you have to either suffer that like internal the the extremely great internal disappointment of oh my that God. i'm so sorry my microphone it, just fell over <laughs> it's okay i mean listeners there there's an earthquake nothing to be alarmed about <laughs> we could we could cut that out right <laughs> that's the famous okay. last words ellen we never cut it once we say we're gonna cut Oh, no, I usually do cut it. It's just not in the video. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Please don't reject me. (laughs) Okay, go on. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
So that, that, you know, it's hard because we, you know, if we're constantly facing rejection, we're either constantly having to accept that horrible internal pain, or we have to constantly bring a guard up and bring a guard up and bring a guard up. And wow. it kind of makes me wonder how often you can do that without like losing all sense of perspective. But you get really mm. good at wearing a mask. So yeah. yeah. And oddly enough, I've never been too great at masking. Like I can mask for a certain amount of time, but other than you know, it becomes so uncomfortable that I'm just like, nope, and I'm natural again. And <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's just that's me though. Um it's only but, been recently you know, that I've started finding what my own face actually looks like because I was I'm so good at masking. <laughs> Wow. That's deep. Yeah. yeah. My people, everybody know, pretty much knows, like all of my friends know who they're dealing with when they're dealing with me. And it's kind of funny because a lot of people who I've befriended over the years have said later, like, I thought you were a, f- yeah, I thought you were fake when, when I met you. And then, you know, <laughs> and then like, I come to find out that you are just actually very transparent. <laughs> oh how funny yeah it's it's really it's been interesting to hear that over and over again (laughs) but um how about you jen what huh yeah how how do you feel yeah Uh, do you feel like you have rsd in your life oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure because and um like annette i'm in a creative realm as well um i'm currently finishing up my very last thesis course in a master of fine arts and creative writing degree. So this is something that's been years and years in the making. It's awesome. I feel great about it. But at the same time, you know, I'm also kind of (laughs) terrified. And I started having panic as soon as this term started on Monday, just earlier this week. Um, And the source of it is, oh, my God, what if I get through this whole thing and it turns out my writing just sucks? What if I get through this entire degree and I can't make my, my novel up to scratch because that's what this project is, is I've written a fantasy novel and now I have to edit it. (laughs) And um, editing is an interesting, like it's interesting because I've gotten good enough at, spacing my emotions out from my own editing that I can pick out a decent amount of my errors and I don't take it personally probably because I'm the one picking it out but (laughs) yeah this is also why I'm so darn transparent with people is because in order to deflect from having the pain of somebody else rejecting me and pointing out flaws you know um, maybe publicly maybe privately who knows instead I just put them out there like as if I am proud of myself no matter what like it could be the worst fly I have and I'll just be like yeah and I do it again like <laughs> that's that's big so, you know what that is that's big clit energy it is big mm-hmm. clit energy it's because I have big clit energy <laughs> yeah obviously yeah <laughs> yeah totally um I th- no I think it's just when I was a kid I was so I got called overly sensitive and overly emotional so many times by adults and other kids Because, you know, kids would tease me like they would tease other kids. And I would process that as rejection. Mm -hmm. And rejection to me felt awful. So I might come home crying from school four days out of the week. And at some point, you know, I had to, like, I realized that the, my entire school started picking on me, except for a few people, mostly because they could see my emotions out on my sleeve all the time. And so I had to learn how to mask that at some point and to bury it and never express it (laughs) when I was around other people. So while I'm quite transparent, like I'll say things that are very transparent, but my emotions are not transparent at all. Um, I have my guard up most of the time. And if I can, like, I'll feel pain internally And some people will not be able to tell. Some people who are extremely perceptive will be able to tell. But that is just that's unfortunately what happens when you're a kid. You know, a lot of parents feel like they have to 
It's how we get tamed. You know, you have an emotion yeah. and someone tells you, don't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Why are you crying? You know? Mm-hmm. I don't so remember. you learn to mask. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. who it was. Oh, it was uh, Malin ba- Balick. She's, uh, um, she's the actress who plays on The Big Bang Theory. And um, yeah, she's a neuroscientist and she was, I I heard a clip of her saying, she's like, um, you know, children look up to their parents and the adults in the room and that's their safety guard. And so when, when they say, you know, oh, you don't feel that way. Oh, you're okay. But you know, you're not okay. What happens Mm -hmm. with that cognitive dissonance? Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can really mess you up when you're a kid. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you know you're not okay. You don't mm-hmm, feel mm-hmm. okay, but then people are telling you, "Oh, you're okay." Yeah, yeah. And it it cut for me that thing. You know that sort of um, that saying like, "Why are you crying?" You know, you're really okay. It's fine. Like um, I would process that as just me being really different from everybody else, and I would sit back and think like. Why is it that I'm the one who starts crying when other kids tease me, but other kids don't start crying when they get teased sometimes? So, like, it kind of set off a thought pattern behind the scenes (laughs) trying to process it. But I couldn't process it until I was older because, you know, little kids don't like to think for a long time about any one subject. So the default (laughs) is, well, it's because they're assholes, of course. Like, (laughs) so, Mm -hmm. you know... (laughs) And unfortunately, since, you know, that's such a low hanging fruit and such an easy conclusion to come to a lot of even a lot of adults think that way. And sometimes I catch myself myself still thinking that way. But it like it's hard. It's like Annette says it's it can be like a punch in the gut and you're not prepared for it. And, you know, you have an immediate emotional response that's extreme and um, you still have to keep it together. You still have to you know, at least pretend like you are a part of normal society. So you can't always indulge it, but you definitely feel it. And, you Um, know, and you, and you feel like such a terrible person sometimes because like, for example, my sister, mm -hmm. she definitely has RSD too. And it's like, because she can't mask very well. Mm -hmm. I can mask so well. So I sat, I sit there and I look at her and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you feeling, why are you tearing your life apart because you were rejected? Like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, I feel the exact same way as her, but I won't admit it to myself. And then I make her feel bad mm. about feeling Aww. that way. And it's like, interesting. I didn't realize that I was doing that until like a couple years ago. And I was like, God damn, I'm a bitch. <laughs> am i the asshole i am the asshole <laughs> in this case well, and Charissa, I, I am the asshole i mean i feel like you're you're a person you've got really high standards for yourself and i feel like people like that sometimes also have high standards for other people as well and they don't understand why mm-hmm. those people can't meet those standards you know especially so, when they're yeah. they're they're suffering with something that you suffer from but you're yeah. able to just like kick your own ass and then you're like, what's wrong with you? And yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. I didn't realize that I was like that in mm. until, you know, fairly recently. And I was like, Oh, I hate me. No. <laughs> like, I, hate I mean, me you so had much. the thing was though, you had great intentions because you want your sister to have the best life she can, you know, and you're like, I see ways you could be doing better. And so it's probably hard for you to feel like oh if only she would just do this and this her life would be great and you know but you know you might be unintentionally uh shaming i guess yeah. when, when you say things like that yeah and and so i don't know i was thinking about my experience with rsd and i feel like like shame is a big emotion that comes to mind for that you know just feeling mm-hmm. like like the uh what i read uh from I think Brene Brown, she's an author that writes a lot about shame, but like, you know, guilt is when you feel bad about something you did, but shame is like feeling bad about who you are, feeling like I'm not worthy of love and connection with other people. And that can hang over you like a black cloud, you know? So the antidote for that, uh, that uh, Brene Brown talks about is empathy and, you know, (laughs) sharing like what we're doing right now, talking about this shit and (laughs) helping each other 
you know, normalize it and feel better about it. You know, when you, when you are experiencing rejection like that and just keeping it to yourself and feeling lonely, that can just eat you up. So it's so important to share with someone. Well, and it's really hard too. Another aspect of RSD is when somebody rejects you, they become the enemy and you can lash out and you can get so angry and you can create. Oh, talk about the anger a little bit. Oh, I mean, when, when people, when I feel rejected, my mind goes to work on just building a case against them. I'd be the greatest prosecutor in the entire world. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, they're this and they're this and they're this. And I will destroy this. you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's unfounded and it's like emotional outbursts. Like it's like, it's, un, it, it's, it's unnecessary, hmm. but you, your brain still goes there. And it's not yeah, that you're it still just, having those feelings. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that it just goes there right away. Sometimes it lingers in other areas and then somebody says something like close to what that other person said and then you just like explode Hmm. and then you're so angry at a different person and you don't know like you're not catching why but it's that same (laughs) kind of rejection or criticism that somebody else did and it was just like that and you just lose your shit and um Uh, mm -hmm. well yeah yeah so let's talk yeah I mean, I think that's, sorry, I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like that at all. No, I know. Yeah. But I, I just think that's really interesting to talk about, though. Like, you know, normalizing that, I think, because that probably happens to a lot of people, you know. Road rage mm-hmm. is a tiny example, I guess. You know, you feel rejected in traffic. Like, hey, how dare they cut me off? You know, instant mm-hmm. rage. Instant. Yeah. I never get road rage, but I do absolutely get angry um, when I do the, re- the RSD thing, same, like same, when I'm same. experiencing, mm. and I think that this is actually probably how Annette and I became friends because we used to deal <laughs> with some serious little jerks at school and we both would, you know, sit back and like gang up on them verbally together and just be like, you know what, you know why this person sucks. And we just list out all the reasons why that person sucked. And it felt so cathartic and great. Um, but you know, like, <laughs> You got to, at some point, turn that lens around back on yourself and be like, well, <laughs> no. maybe I'm not nice. Oh, <laughs> like, maybe I'm not such, being nice right now. That is such a hard pill to swallow, though. Man, it, it is. is. Especially when somebody really sucks and multiple people think they oh, suck. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. But then it's like, that's, right. not, that's not spreading love. That's just spreading hate. And, you know, yeah. Star Wars taught us that hate just leads to the dark side and sometimes you want to join the dark side i know i know right they got cool ships and it seems more fun sometimes yeah (laughs) all right hate it is (laughs) (laughs) we've woken up and chosen violence today listeners that's right Um, (laughs) that's right yeah ellen what have your experiences been with uh rejection sensitive dysphoria yeah i was doing some thinking about that today and I feel like for a lot of things, uh, I don't experience it. And that could be because I typically have like pretty low expectations for myself and I expect that I will fail sometimes. And it just, I just expect that something will go wrong. So if I do something and somebody's like, oh, look, you made this mistake here. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, of course I did. You know, <laughs> it's not like I've made the, but then, you know, things that I am proud of in my life that I have spent a lot of time on. Like I was really into baking for about 10 years and cake decorating. And so if I would spend, you know, eight hours making a cake and then somebody critiqued it. Yeah. That kind of hurt, you know? Cause it's like, yeah, I, that, that was one area of my life where I felt like, like I, I had a few perfectionist tendencies and would kind of, you know, had, it had to be right. Uh, mm-hmm. But but for for many things like, you know, uh, in at, at my job, for example, you know, there's a lot of times where uh, my coworker will critique something I've done or point something out that I missed. And it never it never hurts. It never feels p- that painful. I know what it feels like when somebody when you feel that rejection, you know, and but usually it's just like whoop, water off a duck's back, you know, 
keep rolling with it. Like, yeah, of course I did that. That's just silly, Ellen, you know. <laughs> like, I, like I've said before, I try to have a lot of grace for myself. So, but I, uh, where, where I do feel that physical pain uh, and like the shame and rejection is if I find out that I did something inadvertently that hurt someone else, you know, um, like if I mm. accidentally said something that offended someone and I did not mean to do that and I find out later oh I just feel awful it's like it just feels like a punch in your stomach or like somebody just grabs your heart like you know oh I can't believe I did that I can't believe I said that I didn't mean to you know um Mm -hmm. so that that's that's I, I and you know I've definitely got like people pleasing tendencies I don't like to let people down but when it comes to things that I've done personally uh, I, I don't really get too uh, pained if somebody critiques me on it. Yeah. But sometimes expecting that you're going to make a mistake, that's just a protection from. Yeah, that's a good rejection. point. See, that could that could entirely be a self-defense mechanism that I came up with in childhood, you well, know, because that's I, I why never I really, didn't. Yeah. yeah, that's why mm-hmm. I didn't go for the auditions or I'd quit. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I I didn't learn to like overcome a lot of challenges when I was a kid. I would I would usually give up if something was too difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I still remember Annette in high school. There were a couple of plays that you wanted to audition for, and you and I'd be like, "Oh, you're gonna audition," and you'd be like, "Yeah, totally." And then you know, a couple of weeks go by, and it gets closer to the time, and you're like, "I decided I don't have enough time for that." And like, it's kind of what it sounds like on the outside. And like, with me, it's, you know, making excuses for, well, maybe I don't have the time to, you know, really pursue this one thing that I should pursue. Maybe it's, you know, I bet there's going to be a lot of competition. Maybe I shouldn't even bother. It's probably wasting my time. Mm -hmm. Like, that's kind of what the justification sounds like. Yeah, and also there's executive function at play here too for all of us ADHD years, you know. It's like mm-hmm. we've got everything stacked against us. <laughs> and yeah. sometimes it's legitimately hard to tell if you've wasted too much time and then you really don't have time anymore or if yeah. you're making an excuse. <laughs> oh god, yeah. it's so true. Well, and like there's uh people who suffer from RSD like it's typical it's kind of typical to feel kind of anxious in social settings and it's not it's it's not social anxiety disorder because that's mm-hmm. like in a so- in only a social setting you're like uncomfortable and f- like worried about being rejected with people with RSD it's not just social uh situations it's like all the time it's like you don't even really want to make new friends because if you make a new friend and then they hurt you or something, it's just, mm-hmm. you're very sensitive to who you choose to be your friends, how close you let people actually come to getting near you and getting to know you. And then in social situations where there's lots of people, I mean, I feel so uncomfortable. That's part of where my impulsive talking comes in because I can't handle not saying something because I'm so anxious and overwhelmed with like having to be social and Mm -hmm. then I'm like why the fuck did I say that why did I do this why did I do this like I'm such a weirdo who wants to be around me like I'm insane like every time I'm around a new group of people I'm like oh god I'm so awkward why am I so awkward and I hate it I absolutely hate it. And so everybody thinks that I'm really social. I'm not social. I'm just covering because I don't want to be there. I want to be in the room. (laughs) Oh, I can so relate to that because like, I, I don't, I don't have like landslides of friends in this world. I have, you know, a group of friends that I've chosen. I mean, as carefully as far as I know, Um, (laughs) but like, you know, I, I tried to choose my friends carefully, the people, you know, people who seem like they are, you know, kind or forgiving, or, you know, maybe they're not going to yell at you and call you names if you've given them the slightest inconvenience. Um, and it's funny, because like you were mentioning, it could be hard to make friends. And like, it is so hard for me to make friends just because I hate putting myself out there and like, 
you know, even if yeah. I went to a place specifically to be social, like let's say I w- went to, I don't know, a bar tr- trying to meet a friend. Um, I don't even know what I would do. Like, what, what do you do there? You just sit around and be like, Hey, nice Coors Light you got there. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't, I'm, I'm awkward for sure because, um, the anxiety that socializing entails is just, it's pretty extreme and I, I'm not always up to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting point. Cause like, when I meet new people, my default is to just talk about myself because I have preloaded conversations and I know what I can oh. say. Yeah. So okay. then it looks like yeah, I'm, I'm saved totally, in your brain. <laughs> yeah. And then it looks like I'm totally just in love with myself or something because I'm, it's just, I though that's what I know I can talk about and I, mm, you know, yeah. it's easy to. And so then it's it, people sit there and go, well, it's not all about you or something in conversations. And I was like, then then make could... the topic interesting enough for me to join. Mm-hmm. Cause I, yeah. that's yeah. another problem is like my brain doesn't do the small talk very well. Oh yeah. Ooh. It's so I'm, boring. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I want to have these like super deep conversations or like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm obsessed with space and I like physics and I like science and those things are fun to talk about. Now, the average person doesn't want to have a conversation with me about science because they don't know anything about science, probably. But like, <laughs> but it's like, if something intrigues me and I'm like, yes, this, and then I can totally jump into any conversation and be like, yes, this, this, mm-hmm. this, and then it's but then it's also kind of like fact data spewing and depends on the person mm. so much for me some people i can tell instantly i'm gonna vibe with like today i got a haircut and uh from from a, a lady i'd uh, never seen there before and she, i could tell she was probably about 15 years older than me and th- like one of the first things she said i don't even remember exactly what she said but i was just mentioning like uh, about my code I was getting warm and she's like oh yeah man that was menopause for me and so I was like ah oh, all right <laughs> so I sit down I'm like tell how was menopause you know like I don't even know her name and yeah. <laughs> we're just instantly <laughs> diving in we talked about mammograms uh hysterectomies I mean man I told her some really oh, wow, personal cool. things about myself you know uh and so I love it when and no anxiety whatsoever I mean I don't usually feel a lot of anxiety in social situations, but you know, we just, you never know when you're just going to dive right into something like that with someone. Yeah. There's this, there's one musician that I tour with and he's a a keyboard player and like we jive on the mental level. Like it never feels like anxiety. He's like one of my best friends when we're on tour. I always am comfortable talking to him. We have the most fun conversations but then everybody else, it's like mask, 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 mm, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he doesn't get a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm sick of masking, you know? If I it, like, if I had sat down and I could tell that she wasn't going to talk about anything more interesting than the weather, I probably just wouldn't have talked very much, you know? Like, I'm, I'm so tired mm-hmm. of just making stupid, meaningless conversation about nothing with people. So let's either talk about yeah. how the world is burning and uh or <laughs> you know Light them up. absolutely screw the pleasantries let's be real yeah <clears throat> for real it, yeah and like uh-huh yeah but isn't that like that's that's what to me that's what conversation is right exactly like, the conversations yeah. that are authentic and that where you can just uh be yourself with another person and that's those are the kinds of conversations where you can really feel like you know, empathy with this human, like, Hey, we're not so different after all. Yeah. You know what kind of, you know, I've been just sitting here thinking like, as you guys have been saying this, because it seems like ADHD people have a a really hard time with making small talk. Right. And that's one of the reasons why 
it's hard for some of us to make friends and also why we perceive ourselves as socially awkward and also why a lot of us are introverts and it could probably also contribute to feelings of RSD um, because of how that plays out. So I'm sitting here going, okay, well, so ADHD people have, you know, they, we struggle with this, but we never like I, or at least I personally have never heard of neurotypical people complaining about small talk or, you know, Mm. any of this stuff. I've never heard somebody who Mm. didn't identify as autistic or ADHD, um, talking about how difficult it is to make small talk at the office or whatever. Um, you might hear them say things like, oh, I hate politics, but you know, they, they don't, harp on the small talk as much as we do. And then I'm sitting here going, okay, well, why would that, why would that be? Um, yeah, that's good insight. I think, I think you're onto something there. Like if they don't have the same levels of RSD as we do, then they might think that masking is normal Yeah, and that that's the acceptable way to live in a society is that you have to be somebody different outside of your house than who you are on the inside of your house. And maybe we just never got that memo. Maybe we always expected that <laughs> we should be the same across the board. And then when that didn't work, we got disappointed. Mm-hmm. I will say nowadays, you know, now that I'm 40, I feel like I can be myself most of the time, like, you know, vast majority of the time. I can tell when I'm masking now, but for a lot of my life, there was a ton of masking going on. So I love being older and not giving as many fucks. It's amazing. You're a lot more fun to be around now, too. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I don't think I've ever given quite as many fucks as a lot of people have about masking, but I definitely used to mask more. And I was actually, it's so funny you mentioned age 40 because I was just laying in bed last night going, you know, it feels good to be myself most of the time. I fucking love being 40. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm saying, dude. Yeah. 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 We're not that old yet. No. And I think that, you know, 40, it brings a lot of self-discovery with it, doesn't it? Oh yeah. yeah oh my out. God. Thinking yeah, back, you to... might discover that you're good at conversation after all, as long as you're not masking, you might discover mm-hmm. that you have a no. secret talent. You might discover you have big clit energy. You never know. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Second <laughs> reference. Yeah. Maybe, yep. maybe, maybe if we'd done all the right things, we could have discovered ourselves at 25, but you know, yeah. Didn't happen for me anyway. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of, yeah, one of the things that like I'm always a little I regret a little bit is like I I'm still not comfortable with who I am, but I've learned more of who I am. And even as a singer, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, if I do this, I could, you know, I can make this or if I do this, it sounds a little better or like the the expressing and everything and it's like I feel like I didn't I wish I had been more in tune with my feelings instead of masking all the time because masking stopped me from being as emotionally present in music as I could have been. Yeah. Mm. That's a good point. Wow. Yeah. Masking does really, it does prevent you from being present in a moment. And well, yeah. Yeah. And I was, I, I, I have a decent voice but you're amazing dude oh, well, yeah i know but your voice I mean, is amazing i just it, it it's very dead it, it's been very dead because i don't put a lot of emotion into singing and i didn't i realized that that's because i'm not feeling it and the reason that i'm not oh, feeling it is masking. because i don't want to allow myself to feel it because every time I start feeling emotions people tell me you're being too emotional or you're mm-hmm. you know that's too much or just you're not that yeah. it's not that bad why are you feeling that way or you were so, shamed in the past for that yeah yeah so if I start to sing and I start to feel those things it's like something in me just immediately shuts it down it's like nope you know, it's like Elsa. Conceal, yeah. don't feel, don't let oh, them know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Make one wrong move and everyone will know. 
damn oh my gosh you can kind of relate to elsa a little bit i huh? can i really can there's a lot yeah. there that i'm like damn <laughs> wow that's funny because it directly translates into the writing world as well what you're talking about because like just as you would feel emotion while you're singing ideally you would feel it while you're singing and ideally. you know then that emotion would come through as a different tone of your voice and like extra color in your music right. in that same way what when writers are writing their stories or poetry it's like we're feeling like ideally we're feeling what our characters are feeling or we're feeling the intensity of the topic that we're trying to convey um and that emotion it like if it's not there it's it's dead writing it, mm. your characters come across very flatly um you don't really think out how they would feel in a situation or how they would respond to that or maybe their responses might be you know they might be perceived as unrealistic because i mean it like their action wasn't well enough thought out like their reaction to something so it it's kind of interesting. And then also like something that not a lot of people know is that when you're reading somebody's novel, you're actually reading a lot about them. You're reading about their emotions and their thoughts and their experiences and how they viewed their life and how they've seen other people and how, and like what they think of all those things. And it's funny because like a lot of times people will be like, Ooh, what, you know, who did you base that character off of? And, you know, the popular answer is always somebody else. <laughs> but really, if you're honest, you've based the character off of a tiny little piece of yourself. And that character is this like itty bitty minute piece of who you are. And that's why rejection hurts so hard in the writing, oh. in the in the writing world, because like we've poured a lot of ourselves into this. So and to then... have a good character, you got to be able to relate to that character. That's why it makes sense. That character is a piece of you. Yeah. It's in your work, mm -hmm. and if somebody rejects your work, whew, that's a personal they rejection. Are, by extension, yeah. rejecting you as well. Damn. Um, and and also how you've talked about you. <laughs> so, yeah. So it it gets really rough, and and this is something where like a lot of writers talk about how afraid they are of rejection, or like um the going joke is you know keeping all your rejection letters like i have a whole binder full of rejection letters and, like, and that's and why writers so, drink so much too except for jen yeah. except, <laughs> except me i don't drink because i have bad reactions <laughs> so, so i just have to do this like you know by myself without that convenient um little crutch <laughs> and yeah as much as i would love to sometimes don't get me wrong i'd love to be able to escape my feelings like that but mm -hmm. i just can't and um so like what's really messed up about the writing world though is that unlike when you go into a singing audition and they'll be like all right cool you know more will pass <laughs> or whatever <laughs> in the writing world they there you send something in through usually through email these days um or through a portal and they'll they're like you know, they'll give you a response by email and it's automated and it'll say something like we try to get back to people really quickly but our reading period is anywhere between 3 and 6 months and if you haven't heard from us in in over 6 months don't inquire just assume that we've rejected your manuscript oh wow <laughs> zero yeah. communication yeah exactly yeah, so, yeah. zero communication yeah. can be better than like somebody going oh you no thanks so then when you yeah. when you do hear from Sometimes. them have they surgically picked apart your writing and and left criticisms all over it so it's just a million paper <laughs> cuts you know that's the no. editors yeah. no that's editors okay <laughs> okay editors are the real evil ones that's out there um P.S. Huh. I actually want to be an editor. So, you know, I'm calling myself evil here. Ooh. But um, so and I know I'm evil. <laughs> but um, no, what happens when you send in a manuscript, if it gets any response at all, it could either be a form rejection, a personalized rejection or an acceptance. So a form rejection is when they've basically written out a form in advance with little blank spots where your name and your story's name goes. <laughs> and they just 
put copy and paste those two things in there and hit click send and that's all they do and it's not specific at all it's very vague you can tell it's a form rejection because it has nothing to do with you or your writing mm. so um and just basically says no thanks um and usually they're very nicely written they're not you know they they're aware that writers have, you know, sensitivity <laughs> about their work. So Good. they at least try to not be jerks about it. Um, a personalized rejection would be some would be where they start saying, hey, we got your man, your manuscript and we did like it. But there's a few things here that we had to pass because of and you could correct these things and resubmit. So that's like a that's a lot better. So oddly, when writers get a response, we're happy about it, even if it's a rejection, because it's like, oh, cool. They told me what I need to do to be successful here. And, you know, there there we are. It means it's good enough that they at least sent me something. Mm -hmm. So when you don't get anything at all, you're just like, oh, like six, like six months down the line, you're just like, man, I suck. That would be, that would be so <laughs> frustrating to be sending in stories just into the void, never knowing if anyone was going to get back to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It can be really frustrating because um, every literary outlet, like, you know, some kind of publishing outlet, if it's a magazine or, or, you know, literary journal or maybe even a big publisher where they're trying to, you know, publish novels, um, they all have their have different guidelines about how they want to be communicated with when they want to be communicated with um, who can communicate with them, whether you have to have an agent or you can personally submit to them. Um, they have their own styles of work that they will accept and not. They have they have certain genres that they will accept or not. Um, there's certain content that they refuse to accept a lot of times. Um so you have to really carefully read before you send something in. So you do all this research at the forefront of it and you, you um, for best results, should go back and read some of what they've published so you know what they like because they might tell you a tiny bit of what they like, but they never tell you the whole thing. Hmm. So after you've done all this research and you've spent, you know, weeks or months compiling a list of places to submit to, it can be very disheartening when none of that research pans out. <laughs> that would suck. So, it does. Yeah, it can suck. Yeah, rejection just sucks, though. But uh, yeah, it does. Uh, no. Since we've talked about some of these, I just wanted to uh, list off some of the signs of RSD. So like just some of the common yeah. signs, yeah. just so listeners can kind of go, if they've heard our stories and kind of go, well, I kind of do that and I kind of do that and I kind of do that. Well, here's a list for you. Okay. So signs of RSD, low self-esteem, uh, depression, especially after feeling rejected or left out. Emotional outbursts following a re perceived rejection. Feeling anxious in social settings, but not necessarily social anxiety disorder. Um, being a people pleaser. Setting unreasonable standards for yourself. Uh, constantly overthinking what you could have done and what you did wrong. Having a physical reaction to feeling like you never fit in. Avoiding social interactions because you fear rejection hmm. so those are some hmm. common uh signs of rsd and, and 99 uh, up to 99 percent of adhd yeah. people could have this yeah and i personally yeah. check every single one of those signs wow if i don't check every box it's got to be up to 99 percent of the boxes <laughs> 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 like seriously that's a lot of of stuff that i can relate to like you know going back and rehashing what you did wrong later on, sometimes months or years after you've done it, if something reminds you of it, you're like, Oh, I remember that one time I was such a heel, like, <laughs> what, you know, and Oh, I could have done it so much better. Oh, if I'd only said this thing, I could have totally, you know, saved that friendship or whatever. And right. it's just a lost cause and best to just move on. But part of your brain won't let you you know i'm thankful for my bad memory because it doesn't let me remember all the times i fucked up <laughs> just some of them that is awesome yep. you're lucky because my bad memory only reminds me of when i fucked up and doesn't remind mm. me of anything else 
Oh, no. Oh, that stinks. I have a halfway decent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, some details will get lost in the shuffle, but most of the things I remember seem like they're pretty accurate. But unfortunately, that does encompass all of the bad things that I could have done differently. So. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I do wonder, you know? though, like if if I was medicated or if, uh, you know, I had mm-hmm. therapy at my fingertips, would any of this change? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I personally, I don't know. I know that those options are out there, but it's like I've just been i've struggled with it for so long that it's just kind of like i guess this is who i am you know, you know so that's one really thing about it yeah i didn't see uh, in my research on rsd i didn't see anyone mention medication helping it so yeah. i'm not sure oh yeah i feel like medication helped my emotions yeah when i yeah, started I mean, when, I it, when i started true. on the journey yeah. It like dampens it. Like right right now I'm on Stratera. I can't medicate fully. I have to take a lower dose than I'm supposed to because I have um it the full dose will give me ulcers within a week, which is great. Ooh. Um so I go for a partial dose instead. Doesn't take care of all of the symptoms, but it does well enough that I can survive in the world and and feel much better than I did before. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I noticed was that I wasn't as hard on myself. I wasn't as hard on other people. My emotions seemed to um, kind of back off a little bit so I could breathe. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I could get more perspective on a situation. I didn't feel like I was drowning in sorrow or guilt or shame or whatever it might be that day. Um, It felt a lot more like I could take a breath and think about it for a second and then be like, am I responding reasonably to this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I could get that, that the moment that I really needed to think about it. And, uh, therapy did help too. Um, I've, I had been in therapy for multiple decades <laughs> for doing things like cognitive behavioral therapy, Um, for my complex PTSD, I went through dialectical behavioral therapy as well. And, um, both of those things really did help. Um, I don't know how much DBT, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, I don't know how much that helped the ADHD symptoms or, or the, uh, RSD symptoms, but it definitely helped the PTSD symptoms. And a lot of times those two things can get confused anyway, Mm because, you know, how do you know if you're reacting from a memory because of your PTSD or because of your RSD? Oh, yeah. Our brains are just pots of soup. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's yeah. just one big pot of soup. Well, and um, I want to just put this piece of information out there for listeners, because I know that this is something that I struggle with and I used to struggle with more, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. But like, because if you have RSD with your ADHD, you already feel like you're worthless in a lot of ways. And so when you're trying to talk to people, you'll build yourself up more than like you, you'll over appeal about yourself. You'll overshare or you'll try to make yourself look bigger than you really are because you want to feel like you're something special, even though you, like mm-hmm. you don't, you're, you're not something special. And so you'll oversell yourself and, you know, I found myself, you know, boasting or bragging. And it wasn't because I thought I was great. It was because I thought I was shit. But I want you to think I'm great. And Uh, so underneath it was insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. So be aware of that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Be aware of that. And be aware of that in other people that if they're doing that, it's possible that they're just extremely insecure. That totally makes sense. Yeah. It's good to have empathy and, for other people and yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also keep in mind that just like it hurts you being rejected, there are, you know, a ton of other people walking around with the same um the same dysphoria going on inside of them where, you know, something you say offhand can be a rejection for some to somebody else. Um and that like Ellen said earlier, can be a tough pill to swallow when you look at your own behavior like that. But it's necessary because, you know, it's 
That's how I, we I, grow. I, I kind of think yeah. there is absolutely no research done on this. There's no empirical evidence to support what I'm going to say, or at least I don't know of any. But I feel like like you could justify your way into narcissism just by avoiding your RSD symptoms enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, you know, building yourself up and wanting to always be better and one upping and, you know, just because you're so uncomfortable on the inside. And that's like the root of narcissism is when you're just this black hole on the inside. You don't like yourself and you inflate yourself um, to a crazy, like just, you know, way different standard than what you really are. So um, and then, you know, I, I feel like they could be you know, pretty close in following one another. So just be careful. (laughs) So how are we going to tie this up in a pretty little bow, Jennifer? Mm, I have no idea. It's not really a pretty package. (laughs) Like none of this is, it's just messy. Yeah. It's sad. It's kind of like the birthday present you wrapped with the funny papers. (laughs) It's like that. um, It's like that pink song. God, it hurts to Mm -hmm. be human. It does. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. It does hurt to be human, but being human is exactly what we need in in our life, in our society. If more people took the time and care to empathize with fellow people, we'd have a lot fewer problems going on. Yeah, that's why we like to talk about this stuff and be real and authentic with you guys, you know, make sure you know you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's alone in feeling this level of emotional struggle at the tiniest little rejection. And if you do feel that way, and if you have the luxury of finding a counselor, go to a counselor, talk about how you feel. If you don't have the luxury of health insurance, like some people don't, um, you know, you could try to seek one through Medicaid if you qualify for it. Or there are some online programs um, where it's like Teladoc uh, is one of them where you can go online and pay a certain amount per visit. And sometimes the um, counseling visits are pretty cheap depending on the platform. I've, I've heard of ones that only take like $20 for a 30-minute session. Um, and when you break that up, you know, maybe you do two in a month, that's 40 bucks. That's just saying no to Starbucks for a month. Like... Or for a couple of weeks for some people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, think about it. Yeah. it. It might be well worth a trip to a teledoc or a, a real face-to-face counselor. I think yeah. it's so important to um, to not isolate. You know, don't, don't... It's so good to share this stuff with other people that you trust. That I mm-hmm. mean, I hope that everyone has at least one person they trust in their life, you know, that they can talk to about this stuff and get get empathy from them and feel less alone feel more normal we all mess up we all get rejected shit happens it sucks you know but Mm -hmm. don't keep it to yourself it'll just boil you up i feel better just talking to you guys today doing this podcast helped a lot so oh good perfect i'm glad yeah i know i was feeling like like doggy poo poo earlier (laughs) (laughs) because i had my own like little breakdown i was having just a mini one about not being good enough and you know how am I gonna survive this whole term and you know well I survived all the other ones that came before it so I'm sure I can you've got a good track record that's right good track record and now and of course I've got amazing friends to talk to so it is it's gonna be okay yeah (laughs) we can do this surround yourself with people who remind you of how awesome you are And if you don't know of anybody or you just can't think of anyone right now, I just Mm -hmm. want to tell you, whoever you are, you are awesome. I know it doesn't sound like really great coming over a podcast, but everybody, (laughs) seriously, it probably sounds disingenuous as fuck. (laughs) But but seriously, everybody has excellent qualities. And with some people, it just takes a little bit of self-discovery to find that. Some people already know what their positive skills are. And, you know, every person has a place here. Yeah. So if you feel like you're different, like we have for our, our the younger part of our lives, and you feel like you can't deal with how the world perceives you and treats you, you know, it might be time to talk to a counselor and, and have those heart to hearts with yourself. Yeah. Get to know yourself um, and, 
forgive yourself. Give yourself grace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it might not have been a pretty package. It might not have been a tight little bow on the top, but we can all do this. <laughs> uh, we, we can get up tomorrow and deal with more rounds of rejections. Every single day is going to be one. So I hope that you wake up and you feel like awesomely refreshed and like, I can do this because I just know that I can. I know I'm not alone. That's right. Um, so for everybody out there, have a wonderful day and Basel Top. Basel Top. <laughs> Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye.